Leading up to um, Christmas, we've been looking at the genealogy of Jesus. We've been looking at the, the beginning of the book of Matthew, and we've picked out the women who appear in the genealogy of Jesus as we've been leading up to Christmas. And quite appropriately for our carol service, we've reached David and Bathsheba. <laughs> so, <laughs> all fits together so well. Um, so I'd like to invite John to come up, who will be reading... The story of David and Bathsheba from the Message Bible this morning. When that time of year came around again, the anniversary of the Ammonite aggression, David dispatched Joab and his fighting men of Israel in full force to destroy the Ammonites for good. They laid siege to Rabbah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. One late afternoon, David got up from taking his nap and was strolling on the roof of the palace. From his vantage point on the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was stunningly beautiful. David sent to ask about her and was told, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent his agents to get her. After she arrived, he went to bed with her. This occurred during the time of purification and following her period. Then she returned home. Before long, she realised she was pregnant. Later, she sent word to David, I'm pregnant. David then got in touch with Joab. Send Uriah the Hittite to me, Joab sent him. When he arrived, David asked him for news from the front, how things were going with Joab and the troops and with the fighting. Then he said to Uriah, Go home, have a refreshing bath and a good night's rest. After Uriah left the palace, an informant of the king was sent after him. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance along with the king's servants. David was told that Uriah had not gone home. He asked Uriah, didn't you just come off a hard trip, so why didn't you go home? Uriah replied to David, the chest is out there with the fighting men of Israel and Judah. Intense. My master Joab and his servants are roughing it out in the fields. So how can I go home and eat and drink and enjoy my wife? On your life, I'll not do it. All right, said David, have it your way. Stay for the day and I'll send you back tomorrow. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem the rest of the day. The next day, David invited him to eat and drink with him. And David got him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah again went out and slept with his master's servants. He didn't go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Put Uriah in the front lines where the fighting is the fiercest, then pull back and leave him exposed so that he's sure to be killed. So Joab, holding the city under siege, put Uriah in a place where he knew there were fierce enemy fighters. When the city's defenders came out to fight Joab, some of David's soldiers were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent David a full report on the battle. He instructed the messenger, after you have given to the king a detailed report on the battle, if he flares in anger, say, and by the way, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. Joab's messenger arrived in Jerusalem and gave the king a full report. He said, The enemy was too much for us. They advanced on us in the open field and we pushed them back to the city gate. 
But then arrows came hot and heavy on us from the city wall, and 18 of the king's soldiers died. When the messenger completed his report of the battle, David got angry at Joab. He vented it on the messenger. Why did you get so close to the city? Didn't you know you'd be attacked from the wall? Didn't you remember how Abimelech, son of Jerobasheth, got killed? Wasn't it a woman who dropped a millstone on him from the wall and crushed him at Thebes? Why did you get close to the wall? By the way, Job's messenger, said Job's messenger, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. Then David told the messenger, Oh, I see. Tell Joab, don't trouble yourself over this. War kills, sometimes one, sometimes another. You never know who's next. Redouble your assault on the city and destroy it. Encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she grieved for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent someone to bring her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. Thank you, John. It's become very familiar today to hear about powerful men who misuse power. It's become very familiar to hear about powerful men who misuse less powerful women for their own satisfaction. It's become very familiar today to hear about the misuse of power, about the mistreatment of other people, about the cover-ups, the lies, the payoffs, about the mistreatment of those less powerful that then gets pushed under the carpet and ignored. It's become a very, very familiar thing to hear about in our society today. And yet, as we've just heard from the story that John read so well, thank you, it's actually nothing new. It's actually nothing new at all, because here, thousands of years ago, before Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all those blessed tweets from the rich and famous and powerful, things were exactly the same. People in power were taking advantage of those who were powerless. What was different in our story today, actually, is that up until this part that we've just read, King David was not like all the other powerful leaders. He had not been a king who had mistreated, who had marginalised or who had ignored others. In fact, he had been a good king. Back in the day, he had, of course, been the one who defeated the Philistines by killing Goliath. And then, as ruler, he had brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel. He had united the people of God under one leadership. He had been a king who had followed God and who had relied on him. He had, in fact, been a leader you could trust, one who led his troops in battle and risked his life for his people. Back in the day, David had been good. But then somewhere along the line, things had changed. The troops were still out battling. But instead of going off to lead the army as he normally did, David sent Joab out with the king's army while he stayed behind, idle, restless. Or if you like, instead of doing what he had always done, David decided he was going to choose a different path. And it's while he's idling, while he's walking around on the top of his palace, looking out over his kingdom, that he sees Bathsheba, 
We are told she was very beautiful and that David wants her. He asks who she is and he is told that she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. He's told she already belongs to someone else. But being king, and I guess believing himself at this point to be all-powerful, to be unquestionable, to be above reproach, David seems to ignore this information. He wants Bathsheba, and so he takes Bathsheba, he sleeps with her, and he sends her back home. Like many other powerful men before him, he takes what he wants, he uses it, and he discards it. And he believes the whole thing to be over. That's it. Until a little while later, Bathsheba appears again with the disturbing news that she's pregnant. She appears again with the news that David didn't want to hear. And so as with all rich and powerful men who do something that they shouldn't, the cover-up begins. First, David finds Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. And then under the pretense of debriefing him from battle, he calls him home. And he attempts to send Uriah to Bathsheba for the night so that he will sleep with his wife and David's secret will be safe. But Uriah the Hittite is more faithful than David the Israelite king. And so he refuses to go home. David gets him drunk. But still, he sleeps on his mat among his master's servants. He does not go home. And so David writes a letter. A letter effectively condemning Uriah to death in the heat of battle. And he sends him back to the front with his own death warrant in his pocket. A little while later, Uriah dies in battle. David takes Bathsheba to his home and marries her. And the cover-up is complete. Another powerful man has had an affair, used and abused a woman who could do nothing to stop it, covered it up and gets away with it. It's such a familiar story. It is such a familiar story. We're almost used to it. The details may be slightly different. But the outcome is very much the same. And you know, David would have got away with it. There's no doubt about that. David would have got away with it. And Bathsheba would have been forever remembered as the beautiful woman he spotted and took to his bed. David would have got away with it if God hadn't broken into that situation. But you see, the thing is, God hates injustice. The thing is, God hates the misuse of power. God hates the mistreatment of people. He hates corruption and lies that hurt others. And so in this instance, he does break it. Not with armies or uh, deafening thunder or a show of strength as we might imagine, but as he usually does, with a human being, a man called Nathan, a prophet of God who appears to tell David a story. It's a story about a rich man who has lots of sheep and cattle and about a poor man who lives next to him who has just one little lamb for his family. The rich man is visited by a traveller and so he needs to entertain this traveller and make sure that he's fed. 
But instead of using one of his sheep to feed the traveller and make him welcome, he steals the lamb from the poor man next to him, the only thing this man owns, and he kills it to share with his traveller. Of course, when David hears this story that Nathan tells, he's mortified, he's angry. He sees the injustice and the unfairness of this story. And as king, he declares to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. And Nathan turns to David and says to him, you are that man. And suddenly... David's wrong is laid before him. And the king, the most powerful man in the land, who can do anything he wants, suddenly realises that what he has done is wrong. He suddenly realises that what he has done is so, so familiar. He suddenly realises that the way that he had treated Bathsheba is horrendous. And in that one moment, that one moment when God chose to break in through one man who told a story, the tables of power are turned. The playing field is laid flat and David becomes once more the humble king that God chose him to be. And Bathsheba becomes no longer a possession of one man or another, but the queen through whom generations later Jesus would be born. Because you see, when God breaks in, when God breaks in, not in big seismic events, but often through ordinary people, through stories, he transforms the way that life is lived so that people become equal and God becomes God. Because when God breaks in, as we saw on the DVD earlier, he makes room for everyone. Not just the rich, not just the powerful, not just the successful, not just the clever, not just those who the world holds up as desirable and important. And also not just the poor, not just the powerless, not just the voiceless, not just the minorities, not just those who suffer so terribly at the hands of others and for whom God's heart breaks but for all people. He turns the tables. He levels the playing field. He brings some down and he raises others up. So whether you be David or whether you be Bathsheba, when God breaks in, all, all people can be welcomed into his kingdom. We have a wonderful God who acts in wonderful ways, who transforms lives. As we pause, we're going to sing and worship this God this morning. We're going to sing together as we focus on who Jesus really is and on the wonderful things he has done. Let's stand together. Do you know, when I was, I always wanted to be a footballer when I was younger. But, you know, back in the day, it wasn't really a thing that girls did. And so I never learned to play football, but I did used to kick around a ball. And then in my early 20s, there was a girls' team. And I decided I was going to join. 
And I loved it. There was me and a group of friends and we used to go along and every week we'd play football and it was great fun and we really enjoyed it. But there was this one girl there who was really bossy and she used to speak to me in quite a nasty way. She's like I was nothing. And she was like really popular. Um, You know, she was quite beautiful and she really annoyed me. And I really struggled with her. And at one time in this match, she used to play up front and I used to play on the wing. And I was running down the wing and she was going, Kate, pass to me, pass to me. I'm open, I'm open, I'm in the centre. And I thought, yes, you are. Yes, you are. I can see you. And that would be the best person to pass to. Because let's face it, there's no one else to pass to. And all these things going through my head. And I thought, but I can't. Because I don't like you. (laughs) And so I passed the ball... Down the wing. There was no one down the wing. And the ball went out of play. And she's like, why didn't you pass to me? And I thought, so I don't like you. (laughs) And you know, the moment that I'd kicked the ball the other way, I realised how stupid I had been. We could have scored. But I just couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to pass to her. Because to be quite honest, I really didn't like her. I really didn't. I didn't like the way she was and I didn't like the way she spoke to me. And so I couldn't bring myself to do it. And you know, as we approach Christmas and as we talk about God making room for all people, as we talk about God breaking into the world as a human being, as a little baby, we see that at the birth of Jesus, God was born in a stable rather than a palace. That at the birth of Jesus, God was born in a small town rather than a city. That at the birth of Jesus, God was born in a manger rather than a private hospital. God was born for shepherds as well as kings. Because at the birth of Jesus, God reached out to all. Rich, poor, believers, unbelievers. He didn't discriminate or choose not to because he didn't like someone or because they believed something different to him. But he levelled the playing field so that every single person was welcome. And what's more, he calls us to do the same today, to be people who break in with his love and his grace, not to discriminate one way or the other, but to show that God's kingdom is made up of all people. Which, you know, can be really, really hard. It can be a really hard thing to do. Because to be honest, I am quite happy to welcome the Bathshebas. I'm quite happy to welcome the marginalised and the ignored and the struggling. Those who society ignores and the politicians play games with. I'm quite happy to do that. I feel that's the work of God. But am I so happy to welcome the Davids? Am I so happy to welcome the corrupt? Am I so happy to welcome the power crazy or the uncaring or those who play games with other people's lives for their own gain? Am I prepared to show the love of God to those people, if I'm honest, I don't really like so that he can transform them too? Because if the the truth of Christmas is true at all, If God came to live among us and give his life for us, then every single life has value. Every single life has worth. And our job is not to pick who we like. 
and ignore or ridicule who we don't. But it is to seek ways of living that turn the tables, that level the playing fields, that show once and for all that the truth of the Christmas story is that there is room for every single person. Because as the angels said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. Good news of great joy that is for all people. Let us pray before we sing our final carol together. The book of Isaiah says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We have a wonderful saviour who is here now and one day will come back and make things right. Let's stand and worship him as we sing joy to the world. <laughs>